You're all very welcome to this week's episode of the Asking for a Parent podcast. This week, as promised, we are doing another and our final installment of the Young Persons episodes. Here we're going to hear the voices of young people. First episode was concerning primary school children. The second episode, we discussed the issues around secondary school children. And this week's episode is dealing with the 18 to 25 young adult group. And I think this is a particular group that has been maybe most disenfranchised when it comes to the impact of the pandemic. These are young people who would have missed out on leaving cert last year. They might have been the first year of college. They're the ones who are guests supposed to be out experimenting in the world, making new relationships, making mistakes, uh, socializing, going to concerts. And these are a population that would rely heavily on the hospitality and entertainment industry for both employment and recreation. And I think this has been a really difficult time. There's a lot of bad press about this group. We've heard lots about house parties and how they're flagrantly not managing the rules, but we haven't heard a lot from this group. This episode was dedicated to the young adult population to give them a platform uh, to speak about how 2021 was for them and what it's like to be a young adult in the pandemic. And we know from the questions coming into the website that many parents have questions around adult children who are perhaps living at home. We hear lots about the uh, rental crises, the issues with unaffordability of housing, which has meant that I think adolescence has probably stretched a lot longer. We know that childhood is shrinking on one side and children are expected to be older, younger. But there's another side to it that suggests that children are staying younger, longer. And again, that's why it was important to cover this episode. But before we go and talk to the young adult population of 18 to 25, I want to introduce you to two young people who did a recording for us early on in the year. And these were Evie and Ruby. And Ruby was in sixth class and then moved to first year. And Evie was a junior cert student. Now, unfortunately, the audio, as is the difficulty when we are recording remotely, wasn't really good at all and we really struggled to get sections of this conversation to an audible level but what I have done is I've listened over it through it and I want to represent their views because Evie and Ruby gave their time to the podcast and I would like them to be represented as as well as I could so when I asked them about what they were missing most uh, they mentioned rugby because Ruby's an avid rugby player and their baby cousins who were born in lockdown and up until a number of weeks ago they hadn't met Evie made a wonderful point that when she was doing her junior search and was cancelled, when she would try and talk to people, oftentimes people shushed her and said, people are dying in hospital, it's only a junior sector, get over it. But for her, it was an important milestone that she felt, maybe as a rite of passage, she had missed out. She also talked about how school was her safe place and she described having anxiety issues. So not seeing her friends made that worse. But the second wave of homeschooling, she said, was easier as she felt the teachers made a better effort to feel included. And again, we see when somebody goes that extra mile to make you feel heard or validated or accommodated, it makes such a difference and it has done over the last year. Ruby had a very interesting experience where she had the remote learning via the seesaw of sixth class and then doing Zoom classes in first year. So from first to second wave, there's a very different way 
she said it, she found it most difficult to mix with the new friends in first year uh, when they had only a few months to get to know each other and then they were on Zoom classes. She also mentioned that she never got a chance to say goodbye to her primary school teacher and again, someone who she'd spent many years with. Evie, um, after months of not seeing her friends, she said it kind of hit hard as well and both of them said that they would felt that they would never take a hug for granted again. And what Ruby was looking forward to most at the end was uh, the first handshake after a rugby match because she felt that was something that was going to be really cool to do and it would be a sign that things are maybe over. Their advice for parents was not to push young people to do things on your schedule and they recognised the benefits of parents just being available if needed and not needing to fix. Evie said she looked forward to a mask-free school and seeing her baby cousins. And their closing message from the interview was, understand that we're all going through some stuff, uh, and it's not just the adults. And although we're not in hospital dying, it's still very tough. So a real thank you to, to Evie and Ruby for your contribution. Our apologies for the, the fact that we couldn't get to hear you, but I hope I've represented your views as well as we could. And now I'll let you back to listen this week's programme, which looks at the 18 to 25 year age group. So like the other episodes, we, do, we had a set number of questions and we asked the young people who were asked to take part in the episode. And that is Grania, Owen and Emer, And they share with us their experiences of 2021. And then the first question I asked was, what did they miss the most over the year? And I asked them to talk about a person and an activity. And this is what Grania had to say. Um, Person-wise, it's definitely not being able to see my grandmother and the rest of my family, but mainly my grandmother, because she ended up at hospital just before the very first lockdown in February last year. And I've only seen her twice since then, I think it is. Um, so it has... It's been very tough on me and it's been very tough on the family because she's been in and out of hospital. I've been terrified that she'll get COVID because she's very high risk. If she got COVID, I'd be wary that she would pass away. Um, and it's it's just been tough, especially seeing as she was in hospital very close to my house as well. So it was like, she's so close, but yet so far away and I can't see her. And she's such a big part of my life that it breaks my heart every time she phones, you know, uh, it, it's it's a struggle for me and it's a struggle for the family because I don't want her to be alone. She's very isolated as, as well herself now and it just, it breaks my heart. Um, kind of activity-wise, it's just a simple thing of meeting up with friends. I, before lockdown, I used to meet up with, there was a group of maybe five or six of us who'd meet up every Saturday night, sit around a table and play board games or other games and have a pizza. So it was very simple and um, it was very nice. And it's just that kind of little bit of social interaction that I really, really miss. I live with one other person and that is it. We have been glued to each other for the last year and I have pretty much haven't seen anybody else. Um, and it is very strange when you only have that person to talk to day in, day out. I remember noticing, I think, I can't remember which lockdown it was, but um, I went to Little one day and the cash register was lovely. He was really nice. And he had a chat to me about, I think it was ice cream I was buying because it was sunny outside. And I realised that was the first per person I had talked to other than my partner in about six weeks. Do you know, and that just, I, I cried on the way home because it was just, it, it was such a strange feeling that although I'd spoken to people online and on the phone, I just hadn't realised I hadn't even spoken to another human being. It was very weird. That was a really insightful contribution by Grania there, that missing her grandmother who was in hospital and obviously the worry and anxiety about, you know, the older person being the vulnerable population and something happening to them. 
the difficulties then about not seeing each other. And there's been a weird experience of we've never felt more alone in terms of our outside communities, but also never more suffocated in terms of our bubble. And I'm thinking about, you know, just a couple, two people together, maybe without children. And if they are living together, the claustrophobic element of that. And she points this out eloquently when she describes going to Aldi and realizing it was the first face-to-face contact, a conversation that she'd had with another human being. And yes, we can all say that the online issue is very helpful and it's better than nothing, but it really does. There's moments where we realize actually this is very different when it happens in face-to-face. And as we start to reopen and reconnect with people in a kind of a semi-normal way, we're maybe only realizing now just how odd it all was. The next young adult I spoke to was a young man who's his first year in college, and his name is Owen. And I asked Owen what he felt he missed most over the last year. To be honest, it is the people. Like, I miss being able to call a friend and say, what are you doing today? Would you like to go for a walk around Marley Park? Or to be able to organize an event with other members in your class, or even to rock up to see how your family is getting on. You don't have that freedom to, I suppose, connect with other people anymore. And then I asked Emer, who is a second year student nurse, how she's been getting on with the last 12 months. Here's what she had to say. Um, when the first kind of lockdown started, I think I missed my granddad the most because I couldn't go and visit. And that kind of like we're, I'm really close to my granddad. So that would have impacted me a lot. And then um, I would have really missed my social life because I worked in a bar before COVID. So like that was quite like a difference because I went from obviously being quite sociable to not being sociable at all. And I just did really struggle with that aspect of it. Again, Emer points to the kind of social isolation piece. And I suppose if you were used to socially working in a bar or meeting lots of new people, the abruptness and the suddenness of the lockdown. And again, I think we can be judgmental when it comes to young people and assume that they perhaps are missing things for themselves, like their nights out and parties and all that sort of stuff. This is, and all these young people have mentioned grandparents as something that they miss the most. And then let's hear what Emer had to say around activities that she's missed out on. I have to say probably going shopping. <laughs> I know as simple as it is, like I just really miss kind of going like with friends and that kind of thing or going out for food with my friends like because I'm quite sociable so it just I did struggle with that bit. The next thing I asked them was about that idea of young people and the bad press that they're getting and I asked them about their experience of perhaps being perceived as a vector or somebody who was maybe someone to be fearful of and here's what Owen had to say. Well, thankfully, I live in a nice enough area, so most of the people would be pretty considerate. But I do think that for the wider spectrum of things, there are a lot of people who might be on edge around the younger generation. And I don't think that's prejudice against them. I think that's just general safety concerns. Everyone is a little bit on edge at the moment, and we are looking to keep ourselves safe in any way that we can. Now, it might be jumping the gun a little bit to step out of the way of anybody under 25 years of age, but if it makes people feel safe, then... Yeah, I then asked Owen about whether he felt that was justified, the bad press that young people were getting. And here's what he had to say. I do think that there is the two sides to it. Yes, there are the obvious exceptions of people having house parties and people 
behaving in ways that they probably shouldn't. But I do get the feeling that there is the sense of an easy target as well. Like, yes, there was the case of Limerick, but that's going to be blown out of proportion for the next two or three months, as opposed to Joe Bloggs, politician sitting on the golf course with 15 of his friends. People are going to focus on the easier target because it is easier to get annoyed at the younger generation than admit that maybe not everyone is perfect. And Owen makes a really good point here. There is a sense of, I think in general, we're getting more het up about things that we have very little control over. And I think that maybe is a symptom of pandemic living when we don't have other things in our lives, we tend to get exercised about it. But his perceived injustice there around young people being an easy target is one we should listen to. Well, my social group at the moment is my five other family members, and I'm fairly sure they're all keeping in tow. But I do think there is the sense of not even the 10%, I'm going to say it's an even five, who have probably just been cooped up with their families too long. Like there is the case of not everyone has the happiest of home lives and some people do need to get away from that. And I can understand that that might be a challenge for most people, but there is the sense of, does it still excuse you to go out and behave in a way that puts other people at risk? I think Owen brings up a really good point here about the cost benefit analysis. And again, he points to the fact that, yes, young people are an easy target and maybe we are getting exercised and annoyed about things more because of the level, the nature of pandemic living where we don't have lives to engage in. We tend to maybe overreact on other things. But his point here about if we have to remember that home life may not be safe or a safe haven or a sanctuary for some people and the dilemma around does that justify them breaking the rules in order to be out and I think that's something we've all struggled with trying to weigh up a cost benefit analysis to the physical risks versus the mental health cost and again the idea that home life is not the same for everybody and therefore you know expecting someone to cocoon in a situation where they feel unsafe or where they feel threatened or where they feel that there's hostility may not be good in their mental health terms. And we have to consider that everyone has unique needs. The next person I asked about the narrative around young people was Gráinne. And Gráinne has a lot of involvement in young people's organizations and has a good deal of insight into the messaging around that. And here's what she had to say. Um, I think it depends on, on the young person. Um, I think there is a definite jumping away of groups of young people and there's a jumping away of you know a, a couple of people together or people in certain clothes as well I've noticed that if there's a group of young fellas in tracksuits people do jump away um I myself have not noticed it massively for me but I know it has affected a lot of people I know within colleges um like the thing is yes there have been issues with young people but there have been issues with every age range and we're kind of the the press is kind of focusing on yet there has been a few bad apples but there are so many people who are sticking to the letter of the law sticking to every restriction every regulation and it's kind of like you're punishing the bad and the good by tarrying them all at the same brush because I know from conversations with a lot of my friends some of them are getting fed up to the point well if you're going to say I'm going to break the restriction at this point why don't I just do it and and that's frustrating for me and for a lot of people because I I don't want people to get into that mindset but a lot of people have because if you're going to keep saying you're a bad person then you're like hey I'm a bad person I'm going to do it anyway you know it's it's not helpful 
And this is something I hear from young people all the time. If we expect them to get it wrong or to be uh, rule breakers or to have an issue, there is a kind of a resignness to, well, I might as well, I'm getting in trouble for it anyway, so I might as well. And I'm really not entirely sure whether the approach that we had about you know, just mentioning the people who are breaking the rules rather than positively re reinforcing those who, who were actually following them was a very effective way of doing it. And Grania points that out brilliantly here. The next person I asked about that was Emer. What did she think about how young people were being perceived in the wider narrative of the public and messaging around young people? Here's what she had to say. As a group, I think we've been very slated, to be honest. Um, because even I heard reports on the radio of um, the, the most fines given um, in cars were to young people. And I did find that quite insulting because I'm sure there are like, I just don't think there's any point in pointing the finger at a certain age group. We're all kind of struggling, like I think. In, like when I look at it from, from an outside looking in, I think our age group have probably been affected by it like the most socially because kids they kind of it's kind of just going to be another milestone that like you know they kind of wouldn't really think into it too much but I think our age group you know have kind of struggled like the whole 18 maybe 17 18 to 23 let's say we're got like I'm gonna have my 21st in the lockdown and that's you know that's not great but you know, I think as a, as a group, I think we have been a bit slated, to be honest. As a group, we've been a bit slated. Isn't that an interesting way of perceiving it? And again, I think there is, this has come up in all the young people's episodes, to not tar everyone with the same brush. There's a couple of bad apples. There's a few breaking the rules, but the majority are not. And I think we are prone to generalization when it comes to young people. Um, and as Emer rightly points out here, this is a group that have been particularly disenfranchised by the disruptions. And now Grania, we spoke to Grania about the messaging for young people and what her thoughts were. And here's what she had to say. I know I do believe that to be, be the case. And one of the things that I always go back to is the fact that a one-year-old child, the last year of their life, it's been 100% of their life. An 18-year-old, the last year of their life has been 1-18th of their whole entire life. For a six-year-old person, it's only been one sixtieth, so it's been it's been going a lot faster, and it can seem a little bit less significant. But for children and young people, it is a bigger percentage of their life that has been affected. Do you know, it's 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 something that they're having to learn and grow through. Whereas an adult who has been around for the last 40, 50, 60 years, who has learned to mature, who has learned to make these connections and emotional growth, they are already kind of have a little bit more resilience than young people do. And we need to realize that young people are, are still going through all the things of puberty and growing up and all of those experiences on top of a pandemic. So there's a, there's a lot going on. Yes, these young people may not have lost jobs or may not have mortgage payments to make, but what's going on in their life is the most important thing. You know, what's going on in my life personally is the most important thing to me and everybody are the most important person to themselves, you know? So we have to kind of realise that it is a big deal for young people. That Those trips or that first year of college may seem insignificant as a person who has already done their first year and has experienced it and say, ah, it's not that big of a deal. But for the person who was going to experience it, it is. It's a massive, massive deal. And I think there's a lot of, 
disconnect and a failure to acknowledge that what's going on for different people is valid and it's valid for them. And we do need to realize that each individual person's experience is valid and 100% accurate for them. This again is a brilliant point by Grania. It's come up time and time again that, you know, your truth is the only truth that matters. Your loss and the difficulties that you're experiencing is relevant to your own life. And she makes that point about a younger child being a bigger proportion of their lives. Emer mentioning about having her 21st in lockdown. We can always compare that to, you know, children years ago were sent to war and they were sent down mines and, you know, you could be in, a, in an ICU. But again, if I am in an accident and I lose one leg, telling me that John up the road lost two legs doesn't necessarily take from my own grief. I think this is a really good point that, that young people are missing out on formative experiences and it is their truth that's the only truth that matters. That's not being indulgent or, or self-centered. It's about being realistic and being honest. The next question I asked the young adults were, what were the things that they missed out on or the things that were cancelled over the last year that were difficult for them to come to terms with? And Emer was the first person to contribute. And this is what she had to say. Like, I was supposed to go and see Julie, but I've been to maybe 20 concerts. Like, I'd be really, that would be like kind of a big thing. Um, so like even the week of the lockdown, I went to see Halsey the week before that I was at the script. So I went from like, it's just the whole buzz and the whole, you know, getting ready and going and the feeling of, you know, being out and about. But I suppose I haven't really kind of thought about it because I just end up getting annoyed when I think about it. Like even... I seen an advertisement for Post Malone concert or something in the UK and I was thinking, oh my God, that would be deadly to get tickets to and have something to look forward. But then I kind of had to stop and say, we don't know how long this is going to go on for. So I haven't really like kind of filled that gap other than I kind of took up reading, like to try and amuse myself a bit. But obviously like reading, you know, it gets a bit boring at times, but I haven't actually kind of thought into the whole concert thing because I just I just have the hope that one day I'll get to go again and get. But I am thankful that I have the experience of, you know, 20 concerts behind me because like some people haven't ever been to one and they've never had that kind of feeling and the buzz of actually like standing and looking at that. So I suppose in that aspect, I do feel lucky that I did get to experience it, you know. That was Emer's contribution too. And again, the importance of if you're into music and that's your passion and going to concerts, these are big losses. Like maybe for someone like me, going to a concert is not that important or certainly something that I wouldn't have come across as, or thought about as something I missed. But if it's your passion, if it's your thing. And I know personally, I've really missed my tag rugby over the last year. And, you know, that might not make sense to somebody else. And it comes down to the the relevance of the loss to you and to your life. And I think Emer really captures that really well. And, you know, we, there is that dilemma of, are you better off never experiencing something? And so you don't know what you're missing, or is it difficult to have a good or normal experience of it and then having to, to do without? These are really interesting questions to ask. I then asked Owen about the cancellations that he's experienced over the last year and how he's coped with them. One of the biggest things at the moment, um, we've had a few new additions to the family, which was major because everybody was thrilled, a whole new grandchild and 
the family is over the moon, but I'm not going to be able to see them until after lockdown, more than likely. And uh, that's no fun for anybody because like you want to be there with your family to celebrate the big moments and not being able to say hello to your new cousin is a bit of a letdown. And in terms of activities that you that have been postponed or cancelled or anything like that, what would be the main things over the last 12 months that you've missed? Um, we used to have the triathlons with school and I suppose a lot of sports clubs and societies have been cancelled. Um, we used to have a family membership to a gym just up the road, but of course none of us can go now. My dad had a brilliant triathlon set up. He was going to be going to Mallorca. We were all going with him for support, but of course that's been cancelled as well. It's like being able to go out, keep yourself healthy, do something to take your mind off the everyday. It has been a bit of a challenge, especially when it was family events and the like. Christmas was definitely hard because I do come from a big family and not being able to see relatives was a challenge. But that doesn't mean you have to shut yourself down entirely. There is the opportunity to connect with your friends and family online. There is the opportunity to still, you can order a book, you can take up a new hobby, you can, what I'm doing at the moment is helping with the student union. And there are projects that you can put yourself into because if you're sitting at home doing nothing, you're just going to get bored and stagnant and that's not going to help anyone. So Owen, we've talked about, you know, missing out on triathlons and family occasions and Gronya had another but to say about messaging for young people, because she's involved in services that support that. Here's what she had to say. I don't think there has been kind of enough acknowledgement of the young people. And I know there actually has been efforts made to target young people better with better public health messaging. Um, I am a member of spunout.ie and I'm on their national action panel. So we were actually engaged with and spoken to and say, hey, what would actually work for you? If we, if we went to a young person and said this message, would message A or message B work? And like, that's the thing is you kind of do need to speak to the stakeholders. You need to speak and work with the young people. Don't just come out with a blanket message that a 50-year-old or 60-year-old in an office has come up with because it might not engage with the younger people. And I know even I as 25-year-old, the messages that I would come up with wouldn't engage with a 16-year-old probably. Do you know, you need to kind of speak to those different levels and kind of know where people are at because even with how you target public health advice, you could target me through maybe Twitter or Instagram, but you could target a younger generation through Snapchat or TikTok. Do you know, so you have to kind of be with, be at where they are. You know, and you have to kind of talk to them and see what they want to hear as well and see what kind of language works because the language that would work for me wouldn't work for a 15-year-old or 10-year-old or any, you know, younger people or the same with older as well. And Grania makes a good point about, you know, asking the people who you're trying to address how they would best hear it. And maybe I don't, don't think we've done that very well in this country about going to young people and getting their opinions on it. But again, maybe the purpose of something like this podcast is giving them a platform to give us some feedback on how things are going. Well, remote learning is a bit of a... So this is the bit about Owen. As well as Owen being a young man who was saying about missing out on family events, Owen is also a first year student in college. And I was really interested to hear how his experience of first year had been when he was attending most of it from his bedroom. And here's what Owen had to say. Well, remote learning is a bit of a, a bit of a challenge. We have teachers broadcasting from Roscommon and Limerick and Galway, which is fine, but 
every so often they'll cut out and it'll sound like we're getting a lecture from Megatron. So that can be a bit of a challenge and not being able to say, oh, can I borrow your book for a lecture? Or, oh, do you have the notes from last week's seminars? The distance of it is a bit intimidating too, because you're only going to see these people for the very first time once you get back to campus. And while you have chatted with them and probably had all of the group chats or whatever it is, you're only going to meet them and see them for the first time when all this COVID clears. And that is a bit daunting for most young students. Um, there has been a lot of opportunities. Dunleary and IADT particularly have done an amazing job making sure that we can all chat to each other and making sure there is opportunities for socialization. But the students have done a really significant job of that themselves as well, setting up group chats, organizing events, creating clubs and societies for people to meet. It's really amazed me how much people have stepped up and been active. And a positive message from Owen here about, yes, the remote learning is really challenging, but the creativity of certain people to, to make efforts to, connect, to create connections has been really welcomed by him and his peers. I then asked Emer about what it was like to attend third level college remotely. And here's what she had to say. Um, yeah, like college has been a real struggle, like, to be honest. Um, I'm kind of the kind of person that when I'd be in a classroom, I kind of absorb everything. I'm like a sponge. Like I don't I don't necessarily have to even interact. I can just kind of sit there. And because there's someone kind of talking and engaging like face to face, like, you know, it would be fine. But over the laptop, it is very difficult because your Wi-Fi might be buffering or you know, you might just get distracted over the most stupidest things. Like I could be looking at the wall thinking, Jesus, like, you know, never found this so interesting. <laughs> but it's just so difficult, like, you know, to try and keep engaged. Do you know what I mean? And then if you don't get something, you're in a series emails with it with the lecturer. So it is really difficult. And the social aspect of going to a lecture, you know, you get up, you start your day your journey into college you're already kind of wide awake but I found myself like you know it might be 10 to 9 and I'm rolling over turning on the laptop and sure you're half asleep so you're not really taking anything in so it's just been really kind of difficult you know and Emer gives us a really good insight into the layers of trying to maintain enthusiasm but she points to the fact that education in college is Academic is but one part of that, the social part of meeting people, going there, commuting, creating independence, all of these different experiences, many of these young adults and young people have missed out on. And she makes a really good point there. One of the things I asked the young adults was, what was the negative impact or what has the impact of the last 12 months been on them? And Emer had something really interesting to say. Here's what she said. Well, like I did kind of go up and down in mood. Um, I think mental health has been like, I'm not just saying that because I study it, but I think like I do have to practice what I preach, but with your motivations level being so low, because obviously you can't do the things that you usually do. You haven't got your, like your get out. So sitting at home, looking at the four walls does have its impact after a while. You can like, you know, the whole thing of TikTok and, you know, social media, like, you have a bit of an escape, but I mean, there's only so much you can kind of do with that. But um, like I have gone up and down in mood, you know, like 
like I've had the whole cry in my eyes out because I'm like oh my god is this going to keep happening like is every lockdown we get put on I don't find myself surprised but I just do be disappointed you know because you're you're like I got my driver's license for instance like um, before I went on before I went on my first placement in third year and I was so chuffed about this because this was such a a big milestone and then it's like oh you can't go outside your 5k so I was like what is the point in having a driver's license now (laughs) I suppose it will stand to me someday (laughs) the next part of the questions I had concerned social distancing the challenges of not being able to to physically contact each other and what were the challenges for this age group with the social distancing measures and here's what Grania had to say It's actually both. So I'm terrified to shake other people's hands or hug other people. Um, I don't want to pass something on to them and I don't want them to pass something on to me. Um, But I also really want to be able to hug people, to be able to shake their hand. It's just a very strange feeling. Um, Bringing it back to my granny, uh, I isolated for two weeks before Christmas so that I could see her on Christmas Day. Um, That was the last time I've seen her. And I got to hug her that day because I hadn't been in contact with absolutely anybody else. And that feeling was so strong and amazing to be able to hug somebody else and hug her like I miss that with all my heart I'm I like to be able to hug people or or touch like touch somebody's hand or something I find that very weird very strange I think there's going to be issues in the long run for a lot of people with being able to maintain relationships in the way they used to because relationships might have might seem to break down depending on the person because if they are a person who would would show their love through touch instead of through word, um, it, it could cause issues in the long run for a lot of people, I think. And Grania makes an interesting point here about the ambivalence of wanting to touch people, but then being anxious. And I do think there's going to be a residue of anxiety after all of this is over. I then asked Emer what her experiences of the social distancing and how she thought we might get back to normal when we're allowed to do it. I think like the worst is I... I feel quite anxious now like when I go and I'm in social settings and even like if someone might walk by me I'm kind of like oh my god (laughs) they breathe into my space you know Um, and like even when I'd be on nights out or anything like with, with your friends you'd be kind of standing really close to them and hugs and everything like that's something that like I'd be I'd be quite like tactile like that so um in terms of dating as well that that has been like you know yeah like such a struggle because obviously like you can't like doing the whole two meter distance thing is quite difficult in that aspect you know and this topic of the complexity of intimate relationships and dating in a socially distanced world was really interesting and we came back to that later on i then asked owen about his experience of social distancing and how it has impacted on him it has been a bit difficult and I do think there will be a bit more physical contact in the early days of COVID clearing but I think that most people are going to have to grin and bear it. It can be a challenge. I know a lot of people who would go out to a bar and kind of be able to high five their friends for the next few months. You might not be able to hug your girlfriend or your boyfriend and that can be a challenge but it is something we're going to have to live with for a while. I think people are eventually going to learn to embrace it again but it will be a rocky start. Azima brought up the context of dating and this being a feature for this age group. I asked Owen, Emer, and Gronya a little bit more about this. This is what Owen had to say. I think people are 
choosing to reflect on themselves a bit more as opposed to diving into the dating life in their 20s. Most people would have their roaring 20s, as they put it, and then reflect in the late 30s. But now it's kind of being all pushed into one giant conglomerate. And I suppose people are, they're becoming more aware of their Again, Owen talks about very normal, ordinary things that he's looking forward to and maybe just not having to act in a lockdown fashion, which makes a lot of a lot of sense to me. 2021 and how that has been for her. Um, well, you know, like, obviously there's the dating apps, so like Tinder would be one of them. Um, and obviously when you're matching with people that are outside your five kilometre, like, distance, it's kind of you just feel quite disheartened because like, you know, you can't really do anything, you know? And like, even if you do, like I went on a date in my five kilometer, um, like distance and we went for a social distance walk and that it was just quite awkward to be honest, because it's not like a cinema date where you can just kind of go and, you know, you don't have to speak that much, but this is literally like, you're kind of going for a walk and you might be out there for an hour or an hour and a half. And like, you just have to constantly think of things to say. And I do be kind of coming away from that being like, Oh my God, I'm after overshare now. <laughs> after chewing the year off. <laughs> so like, it just, it's difficult to that aspect. Like the whole Tinder thing has been just a bit of a nightmare. Like to the point where you just get disheartened with it, you know? And, and I suppose a first date is anxious enough without having all those other layers of considerations in it. Um, but um, in terms of the the idea that social distance, two meters, all that sort of stuff, like, can you date? Um, to be honest, I think you can if you're really careful. But again, it's just, like I've really struggled with it to be honest like I've done the whole FaceTime calls I even did the we'd you know plan to watch a movie at the same time and like you know we'd, we'd be like my internet would be crap <laughs> to be buffering and he'd have to pause it and wait for me <laughs> so then like you know it was just like kind of like if we watched it at the same time we'd have something to talk about then afterwards so I did all that and then I did like a couple of coffee dates like you know coffee and a walk like but um I've had I have had embarrassingly funny stories like you know I went for a social distance walk um back when like the snow was like a kind of a thing and I like slipped and flattened myself on her first day so like it was a bit of an icebreaker no pun intended but it was just oh it was awkward it really was so so over I mean, the last year instead of, instead of investing in a nice dress you've had to get a good pair of shoes with grips on them as kind yeah. of priority for your dating life that's a fantastic insight into the dating world for Mimer. I really enjoyed that part piece of the conversation. She was incredibly entertaining and and really upbeat about it. But it was an insight into a world I would have no ability to relate to in terms of trying to find someone or to experience a, an intimate dating life in a pandemic. And she points out the challenges brilliantly, comically there, but also quite poignantly how creative people had to be in order to make connections. Then moved on to asking Emer about the impact of it all on 
one's mental health, mood and anxiety. And here's what she had to say. To be honest, before lockdown, I would be like, I am quite a confident person. But before the lockdown, dates never really seemed to phase me because obviously you would have a lot to talk about because there'd be kind of things going on each week that you can you have a bit more conversation. But I nearly find myself like becoming very nervous, like going on a on a date, like to the point where I change my T-shirt every like three times before I'd even pick one because I'd be like, oh my God, if I sweat now, it's going to be very noticeable. <laughs> like, and then like, you'd be kind of thinking, oh, what if I run out of conversation? Because there's only so much you can do of where are you from? What do you do? And then because I'm doing mental health nursing, I do find myself rambling on about like nurse stuff. And then I have to kind of say to myself, oh, geez, he probably hasn't a clue what I'm on about. Like I could be talking about hand hygiene. He's just looking at me with 10 heads and giving injections and everything. I'm like, oh, my God, stop talking. <laughs> Again, pointing out the challenges, not only the physical challenges of meeting someone with 5K restrictions and social distancing, but then the interactional challenges of trying to create conversation in a world that is largely on pause. Maybe if we know somebody already, if we have existing relationships, there's a kind of a, uh, an understood that lack of currency between each people. But meeting someone for the first time and then trying to muster up some sort of casual shoot the breeze conversation. Another challenge I hadn't been aware of, but Emer brilliantly points it out there. Given the conversation issue around the social currency and lack of things to talk to, I then asked Grania what her experience of that was in terms of the challenges of social interaction in a world that essentially nothing is happening in. And here's what she had to say. Um, I find that extremely difficult. Um, unfortunately, in my job, I can't speak about outside of work. Um, so it means that there aren't those conversations of, oh, guess what I did at work today? There is none of that. Um, and I found that with my friends and my family, I, it's not that I dread phone calls or dread when I get a message, but I find it very, very hard to reply to them because there's not much to say. Like if you, they say, how was your day? Well, well, it's the same as yesterday. I woke up, went to work, had my dinner, went to bed. It's every day is the same and there is no new things to speak about. Um, and I find that very difficult and a lot of people do because how do you maintain relationships if you can't talk about things if there's nothing to talk about and even simple things like something new on the telly obviously because of covid less things are being filmed so there's less to talk about and then the only conversation there is really is the doom and gloom of covid or a new law has passed or a new restriction and it's kind of tough because you don't want to have those conversations all the time sometimes you want to get away from that um mm. and it is it is difficult it's i find it hard even i started my job during COVID. <laughs> I have not All met right. any of I've not met any of my colleagues. I've only spoken to them over the phone or through Zoom. So even the connection between us is I feel like I have not connected very not that I've not connected very well with people. I've connected as well as is possible. But if I had met them in person, the level of connection I have with them now I would have had months and months and months ago. It's taken a long time even to just get on chatty terms with people, you know. And I feel her pain. I started a job myself in the middle of lockdown. And she's absolutely right. The relationships that you would form with somebody is taking so much longer through the remote setting that you're not in a room with people. You're not getting to have those watercolor moments. You're not having chats. And, you know, remote meetings are very 
they're very cut and paste. They're very much the uh, line of business. There isn't much of room for social interaction or other things. And I really can relate to Grania's point here uh, about the challenges of creating work relationships when we're all working from home. The next thing I asked them about was the challenges of parents who have adult children. And we had lots of calls into the podcast here about, you know, describing young people as vampires and these young adults are staying up all night and sleeping all day. And a real challenge for parents to instigate some rules of kind of, you know, this is still my home and you're still my child, but these are adult children and the difficulty with that. And here's what Emer had to say about being an adult child living at home with her parents. I understand that completely because I am quite an IL. So I will sit up till three o'clock in the morning gladly and sleep until 12 or one in the day. Um, advice I can give is just try and encourage. Like my mom has literally been in my ear like 99% of the time. Emer, will you get up and go for a walk? Or just like trying to kind of encourage me. And I do be just like, oh, mom, come on. But she will actually guilt trip me into going for a walk in the evenings it's like oh I'm gonna have to go on my own now I then asked Emer about what advice she would give parents who are parenting adult children at home and here's what she had to say um the only advice I can give is just don't be so hard on them because like I know we're all like trying to cope with it in our own way but like if you just kind of watch watch them a bit because obviously like mood is low you know like I notice it with my brother he just does not care he just doesn't get out of the bed and I do go into him and kind of bombard him into doing something different to just break up the day a little bit but I know it's easy to kind of rant and rave and say oh you're in the bed all day you know get up or whatever but it is it's kind of hard to stay motivated so just keep that in mind. I then asked Grania what her experience or what her advice to parents would be who have adult children at home. Well, even the simple things like the waking time of a young person, if they have been on the same body clock working in a pub for the last year, two years, three years, don't try and change that. I know it doesn't fit around your nine to five schedule or whatever other people in the house schedule are, but if they're not hurting anybody else by maintaining their own sleep cycle or their own schedule for themselves their own routine, I think people need to just let them be. Do you know, like that, this is the thing is, there's been so much change going on that maybe that routine of if it is get up at two in the afternoon and then have your breakfast and go up to bed at three in the morning, let that stay as long as it's obviously if somebody is slamming around the house at two in the morning, I can understand people being frustrated. But if there's no harm being done, I don't see why you'd need to force it into somebody else's normal. This is their normal and this is how they manage every day and I think that needs to be acknowledged um, and it look it's difficult for young people to have to move back home it really really is if you've been out of home and have to move back that is such a change you've lost your independence in a sense you know you've lost kind of your freedom you've gotten used to being able to go out being able to do whatever you want not having to ask your mom for something you know and if you have to go back at 22 23 saying mom can I have I don't know a slice of toast or something it's strange you know um it is a it's a challenging time and it's a different time for a lot of people because they're not used to that when you were under 18 your parents could say you're doing this and that is that we're adults now um we kind of need some some space but some trust as well and um, we need to be acknowledged that we have grown as people in the last few years and we're going through a tough time so yeah okay nag us if we've left the 
clothes on the floor and we won't do the hoovering, but don't try and change everything about us. We are our own beings and we are going through a tough time and a lot of things have changed in our lives. So if we are being okay in the household, if we are not causing undue stress on everybody else, I think just let us be ourselves. That's my main message. And a lovely message uh, from Grania here about, you know, just allowing young people some space, giving them some leniency and pointing out just how difficult things are. And there are going to be moments where they're going to struggle. And her compassion and empathy here, I think, is on point. And it's an interesting message for parents to maybe listen to, because this is a difficult time, as she said, and, and young people are struggling. I then asked Owen about his advice for parents of young adults who are their children living at home. And here's what Owen had to say. There is no right way to do it because every child is different and nobody, there's no one size fits all fix. It is a kind of coded to each individual parenting style and each individual person. But the best I can offer you to best I can offer you as a parent is to remind yourself that yes, you were there for a lot of it and you're going to have to suffer through this as well. They are still your child, but you do need to treat them like an adult. They're figuring out, figuring things out just as much as you are. The next thing I asked the young people who would be on the cusp of careers and choosing what they want to do for the rest of their life, has the pandemic created any changes in their aspirations around what they wanted to do? Here's what Owen had to say. Well, I have a friend who's considering becoming a pilot and it hasn't stopped him. There is still all the online resources and even though I hate to say it, McDonald's is still trucking on looking for employees. There are jobs out there. And while they may not be the jobs you want, they're the only ones that you're going to be able to get at the moment. It is making the best of a bad situation. And keeping your ideas for what you want after this is an important part of it. But I think you're going to have to make do with what you have for the moment. And a lot of people are going to have to suffer. I think there will be knock-on effects for this for a long time. This isn't going to be uh, click your fingers three times and it's all fixed. I think there are going to be a lot of long-term effects over the next few years, especially in jobs like hospitality and entertainment. Mm. I think there's going to be a massive influx once this lifts and then it's going to kind of pitter out again. The next question I asked the young adults was the impact of the last year on their mental health. Here's what Grania had to say. I have had a lot of issues over the last few years. I have struggled. I struggled with my mental health for a long time, but this year has actually made me realize, you know, who I am as a person, what is going on for me. And being stuck by yourself, it can be a terrible thing, but it can also mean you have time to think, time to learn and time to grow if you're able to, you know. Um, and I think that has been a big thing for me is, is that it's also helped me realize you know, resilience within relationships, resilience within myself and show that, you know, I thought in, in the past, I would have thought certain things were the end of the world. And if you had said, oh, there'll be a pandemic, I'd be like, that's definitely the end of the world. So now I've realized, you know, I can get through a lot more things than I used to think I could. Um, now going forward into 2021, one of the, just one of the things I'm looking forward to in several islands is I've just moved house and I just want to be able to have a couple of friends around this kitchen table. That is, it's very small, but I am I'm living for having four people in the four chairs around this kitchen table and just having a chat. It's simple, but 
you know, I'd love to put the kettle on and make four cups of tea. That is exactly what I want. Again, such a simple thing. And this really conversation really stood out for me when we were doing all the interviews that this is what Grania was to make. She wants to make four cups of tea for four people sitting around the table. Again, wonderfully simple, but really poignant. I just think we all need to take it a day at a time. And I know that's really cliche, but it is. Don't sweat the small stuff. It it is trying to realise that, you know, this will eventually pass us. We will get there. And it is kind of just making through each day. And trying to find a positive in each day is is really helpful. Um, Trying to get those, you know, curtains open in the morning. And if it's a nice day, maybe get out for a walk or maybe try and do those little things. And I know that's hard for a lot of people, especially if you're struggling with your mental health or if, you know, you're going through a a period of depression or something that is hard. But if we can try and find even just one thing that has made our day happy. And for me at the moment, it's simple things again. Like if I go to Lidl and they have the nice bread there or something, you know, it's really, really small things, but it is those, those little things that can make all the difference right now. Fantastic. Love that. All right. I'm going to just stop recording there now because that is awesome. And there we heard from Grania talking about, I suppose, again, not sweating the small stuff, valuing the important stuff and how things, her perspective on things have changed, where she's now engaging in a more meaningful relationship with the little things in her life, like the good bread being in little. I then asked Owen what he was looking forward to most when the restrictions were lifted. And here's what he had to say. Probably to go up and see the college. It is a beautiful part of the world and I miss being able to walk along Dunleary Pier. I haven't had a Teddy's ice cream since 2019 and that's definitely going to be up on the list. But I think just to be back out, to be able to walk down Grafton Street and see a busker, to be able to walk through Marley Park and see someone feeding the birds, stroll around Stevens Green without an anti-mask lockdown, I then asked Owen about the reevaluation of priorities, and here's what he had to say. Well, it does cause you to make a lot of hard choices. I think a lot of people are realizing they don't need the 150 pair of Nike shoes they were looking at online. And you do get a lot more frugal with your money, and it is forcing people to grow up a lot faster than they might want. But a lot of people are going to come out the other side with a lot more economic sense than a normal 20-year-old would. while that isn't always the best thing, it is the beginnings of a positive. Um, I attended a wedding over Zoom with over 250 family members. And it was amazing because even though we were miles apart and had delays on every end, connections failing every minute, it was the beginnings of us getting back together as a family. And that was a really beautiful moment. So 200 people attend the Zoom wedding. Wow, that sounds amazing. It was music cutting out. At one point, the audio didn't match up with the sound. And my mother decided that because it was only going to see people from the top up, she could wear her lounge pants. (laughs) My brother attended in a onesie, so that was something else. And next, I asked Emer about her learnings from 2020-21. And here's what she had to say. It has changed so much, <laughs> to be honest. Like the first kind of thing I was like, can't wait to go to the pub, you know. Um, I think I'm just, I'm looking forward to just not feeling anxious going outside my 5K. Um, even like if I go into 
like 15k away go to the shop I'm like oh what if I get pulled over by a guard and I have a bit of like a white coat like with guards instead like my heart rate just just go through the roof for whatever reason I don't even be doing anything wrong but um I'm just excited to do that and maybe go and go to the beach or something and or do that kind of thing you know so that's what I'm looking forward to the most I then asked them about advice that they might have for other people who are coming through the lockdowns and coming out the other side and what they would suggest or advise for them. And this is what they had to say. This is an amazing opportunity for you to get to know your family better. You've seen them for the last 20 years or however long as your parents, but it might be a good idea for you to start looking at them as people as well. There is a whole wide, wonderful world of family history out there. And there's so many things you can learn. Start talking to your relatives, even if it is online. Just get to know your family because they're going to stick with you for as long as you need. And they're going to be around after COVID as well. So you may as well start appreciating them now. I think just <laughs> be wary, like as, as us as a group, you know, we're just, we're all kind of, I know we're all trying to cope with this in our own way, but it's, it's just, if you just encourage like more kind of going outside and, I think there is a like there is a concept in finding yourself and you've all this time kind of doing nothing like you know I definitely have learned like just so much about myself like you know um so that is a positive I pull from the lockdown definitely like even you go out and you go jogging for a week and you're like oh yeah I feel great you know like it's it is good in that aspect you know and I do kind of have things like that I'm gonna look forward to when I get out but it's just being patient is just, oh, it's just tough. Like, it really is tough. The next question I asked the guys was, did they think it was worse for people who were younger who maybe hadn't an experience of things like college or concerts, or was it worse that you had a short experience when it was taken from them? And here's what they had to say. Um, I can't really st- slate lockdown 100% because in ways it did make me kind of pause and look at, like, the amount of stuff I was actually doing. Like I was going from five days of college a week, going in and out of Dublin, like, you know, um, two hours of travel a day, over two hours of travel a day, then going and working maybe 30 hours on the weekend. Like it just, when I looked at that kind of pattern, I kind of had to reflect and say, you were doing too much, do you know? Like, in like, it has given me a lot of time to kind of think about what I want from life and, focus on myself a lot more which I wouldn't have actually prioritized time in the past to do that I'd kind of just run on empty you know so in that aspect like you know the lockdown did kind of have that good impact but so it was a really good conversation there with Owen, Gráinne and Emer, and they talked a lot about the issues that they were coming across as young adults the loss of social life the loss of routine structure core experiences like first time in college, um, you know, having friends over. They, they really didn't talk about very glamorous or I suppose ambitious things. They were missing a cup of tea. They were missing a walk on the beach. They were missing going to see their college. Um, they did have some strong views on how they believed the young people were being misrepresented and they, all of them believed that there were a small cohort of people who were perhaps flagrant in the rules, but again the 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 message of not um tarring them all with the same brush and then that other point about taking it at their pace 
and asking them what they feel and, and almost not applying our, our adult timelines to the things that they need to do. But overall, I found it was a really useful conversation, really insightful into the world of a young adult in 2021. And uh, for Irish young people, I'm guessing similar across the world in terms of the things that they were missing out on and losing out on. But they really were an exceptional group of people who spoke so honestly and insightfully. And we're really grateful for hearing their views, hearing their opinions, and it's a real privilege to give them a platform to have their voice heard. So that was the 18 to 25, and that's the last installment of our Young People's Voices. We hope you've really enjoyed it. We feel absolutely delighted that we were able to give young people a voice of all ages, from primary school, secondary school, and college. And we hope as parents, it's helped you to listen back, to hear how it's been for them, and then maybe better be able to position yourself as their parent to support them. And as always, if you have any questions, you can get in touch with us on askingforaparent.gmail.com or through the Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook pages. But before we go, I just want to say thank you so, so much to Owen, to Grania, and to Emer for their wonderful insights, honesty, and time. And uh, all that's left for me to say is take care, stay safe, and bye for now. <laughs>